0: We're looking tonight at the bread of life, so themes of food and hunger will come up throughout our time uh, tonight. And I just want to start by saying, I don't know about you, but I am a, um, a, this is just me being vulnerable here. I'm sort of opening up my heart to you all, so please don't step down and crush it. Uh, But I I have a problem with like boredom eating. Uh, I don't know about y'all. But when I get bored, I go straight to some potato chips or like powdered donuts or something like that. And um, it's really kind of funny, actually, because I can, like if we're just sitting around the house and nothing's going on, right, um, my wife will look at me and say, what are you doing, sweetie? And I'll say, I'm just getting some chips. And she's like, you're bored, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yes. She's like, why don't you go do something else? Or why don't you go find something to do, you know? And I'm like, I, I don't know, I just want to, I just want to, like, comfort eat. And, um... <laughs> I just say all that because what's funny is, after I usually stuff myself full of stuff that's not healthy for me, I have eaten, I have eaten, but I'm not full. I do about that? I've eaten, but I'm not satisfied. Surprisingly... The lays didn't take care of my existential angst, if you know what I'm talking about. It just didn't fix it. And I shouldn't be surprised. But I think this is actually a common experience for all of us, this idea of longing for something more, this idea of not being satisfied, of having, it seems, a lot and not yet being satisfied. Listen to this story. Y'all know, for those of you that follow sports, you know the, uh, the very... Great and good quarterback. I mean, he is amazing. Tom Brady. He's the quarterback for the New England Patriots. And several years ago, when he was 30 years old, I think this is back in 2005. So it's been 10 years. I cannot believe that man is 40 and still goes strong. Unbelievable. But this is what happened. By 30 years old, he had count on three Super Bowl rings. That's more than Peyton Manning has right now. Okay. He had a $60 million contract. He was, I think, y'all help me. Remember, I think he was dating at that time a supermodel, and he was. At, he had a interview with 60 Minutes, and the guy across the table from him said, "Tom, huh, you're 30 years old. You've got 30. You got three Super Bowl rings, which is more than most quarterbacks in the NFL will ever have. You've got a contract of 60 million dollars for like a 10 year. I think it was maybe an eight or contract, so one, like that, $6, and six and seven million dollars a year." Maybe. And he looked at him and said, I mean, this is is it. And and it's what Tom says. Tom says, you know, I think about all these things that I have. And I look at these rings, and I think, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than this. And the interview says, well, what's the answer? You know what Tom Brady said? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Here was a man who had it all, and he wasn't satisfied. We all that right there is exactly what Jesus is telling us is going on in this text. Turn your eyes to verse 26. Let me show you something. Jesus says in our text that there are those who are seeking, but they cannot find the food that they are longing for. He says in verse 26, right? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the fill of the loaves. In other words, there's this drive in them. They're looking for something. They're looking for something that they cannot be filled with. And I actually want to say tonight, that there is a sort of filling that can, only, that can only be fixed. There's a sort of filling that can only come by a certain sort of feasting. Let me say that again. There's a certain sort of filling that can only come after a certain sort of feasting. And what John is going to tell us tonight is that that feasting is laid before us in the person and work of Jesus. He is going to say that Jesus himself is the bread of life. And so we want to take a look at that tonight. So where are we? What are we going to consider tonight? I want you all to see this. That this text is broken down very simply into three questions: What is the bread of life? Secondly, what's its purpose? And then thirdly, how do we get it? What is the bread of life? What's its purpose? Why the bread of life? And then thirdly, how do we get this bread of life? Anymore? Well, let's start with this idea of what is the bread of life. Before you can understand anything about what's going on in this text, we need to kind of go back. We need to go back about 1200 years or so, to a time where Moses brought his people, God brought his people out of the land of Egypt, on the conquest to the land known as Israel. You may remember we studied this in freshman Bible study. That God has miraculously delivered His people out of Egypt, and they're now with their toes in the Red Sea. The Egyptians are pursuing them to kill them. And God, by His grace, splits the Red Sea and delivers the people out. He brings salvation to those people. And then, after the waters cover back up, in Exodus chapter 16, they begin to grumble. They begin to grumble because they're in the wilderness. And they begin to say to Moses, we shouldn't just stay in Egypt and die there, man. What are you doing out here? What's going on? Have you just brought us out here to die? Where's the food? We're longing for food. And then, in the midst of that wilderness, God brings what is called manna every day. Manna was literally bread from heaven. Interesting fact about manna, it literally means what is it? That's the, you you translate the word manna, what is it? So God sent what is it down from heaven every day. And these people had manna and food every day. For them to eat, for the the years that they were in the wilderness. It's God providing and sustaining them. So that's the background here of what's going on. Because did you see it here in uh, in chapter 6 when he says in verse 31, the crowns say, hey listen, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. That's a reference back to 16, Exodus 16. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, you just need to hear me say that. Unless you understand that there is a history here. But they share, and we don't. You won't understand where this is going, because you need to see that it was through the manna that God sustained His people. And what Jesus is now saying is, is this: there is now a better bread. There is now a different kind and a different sort of bread that has come to come down from heaven, and that bread is precisely me. My point is, is this. Did you see where Jesus said it? He said, I am the bread of life. And you'll notice in verse 33 that this bread comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. A couple of things that I think are interesting that you want to pick up on. First of all, did you notice that bread is a person? A person Jesus is saying that I am the bread of life. And why would this be so important? Because what this is saying is that if you were If you were sort of existing in John's day, the way that you would have found your way to God, the way that God would have connected with you, would be if you, let's say that you were living in the Greco-Roman world, and that you would have understood the the, the Parthenon, the pantheon of the gods, right? The only way that God would have ever had anything to do with you would have been you working yourself up. Would have been your religious performances, the religious rites that you would have performed. And then maybe one of the gods would pay attention to you. So it would have gone something like this. If you wanted to have a child, if you were not fertile but wanted to have children, you would have paid sacrifice to the fertility god. Maybe with an animal, or maybe through intercourse in the temple itself of that god. And then if that god were pleased with your sacrifice, so to speak, they may grant you that child. That's the way that. The world would have thought. So you have to see that in contrast with what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I I am the bread that comes from heaven that you may know God. And that is huge, y'all. Because what he is saying is, is that he is the one who sustains needy, hungry people. And did you see that when Jesus says this, that bread is, that he is the bread of life, this is very, very important. One pastor points out that well, that word there for life is not what you and me think of. You see, when we talk about life, right? When we talk about life, we mean it in a couple of senses. We mean like blood pumping through our veins, and that's life, right? But imagine another type of life, right? You're you're going over to the stadium on a Saturday afternoon. The sun is setting. There's a six thirty kickoff. There's fall in the air, right? A little crisp in the air. You've got your fall gear on, you're with your best friends, you're about to watch the frogs hopefully play undefeatedly against an undefeated Baylor team, and you just you just look around and say, this is the life. Right? You know what I mean by that? When Jesus says that He is the bread of life, He's talking about a quality of life the quality of life that literally is eternal life. That's what it says there, right? That those who have this life will never, never be hungry again. We well, all, I just want to say this very sh- shortly as a way of sort of driving this down. That what Jesus is saying is, he's saying that I am the bread of life, that I am the thing that will, that has come from God to sustain you and to carry you. Here's my point for y'all. I just want to ask you a very simple question tonight. And that is, what is the thing that you are looking to to satisfy your deepest longings? What is it? Because if we sang in the song, that I'm satisfied in you, I think it would take a very honest person to say, maybe. Maybe, God. But if I'm honest, the thing that brings Quality to my life, the thing that brings real joy to my life, the thing that brings real happiness in my life, is perhaps my success, perhaps my grades. I'm really happy when I've got the straight A's thing going. You know what I mean? Or maybe it's that thing, right, called a boyfriend or called a girlfriend, that if I just have her, if I just have him, then my life will be fine. What about this? Some of y'all are like me. I mean, look, I'm not immune from this. That my life is good. You got any people pleasers out there? Got a few folks nodding some heads? Yeah. When y'all like me, my life is good. My life is real good. If you don't like me, I don't know what to do. Because I'm a people pleaser. I'm not proud of that. I need Jesus to change me in that. But I'm trying to be honest and say, the bread that comes from heaven, the bread of life for me is so often not Jesus. And what this text is telling us is saying, "Come back, come find the true bread, come find the bread that never leaves you hungry." Because you know what? Here's the deal: if all of y'all in this room liked me and thought I was the bee's and knees and sort of the cats me, I don't see. Here's the deal: y'all aren't enough, right? I'm gonna have to go out there and find more people because the hunger has not been satiated. Do you see? There's always going to be something more that I need. That's what Jesus is saying. So, secondly, it is this idea of we've, got seen, we've seen what the bread of life is, and then what is its purpose. Well, look with me in verses 35 and 37 as we examine the second question. Do you see it there? Let's read it. I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not come and Then in verse 7, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Then drop your eyes down again to verse 40. We're just taking a look here at this. At this so, that, um, that this is the will of my Father. That everyone who on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Listen, this is what Jesus is saying. What is the purpose of the bread? It is Here it is, two S words. To satisfy and to sustain to satisfy and to sustain. What do I mean by satisfy? Well, I've really already kind of touched on it. You know what it means to eat a good meal, right? You know what it means to fill your belly and to say, that was amazing. I share the story often of being on a job interview once up in Portland, Oregon. And um, the people that were hosting us took us out I think, to maybe one of the nicest French restaurants in in, in Portland. And um, I have never had a meal like this in my entire life. They kept ordering the best seafood, the best cheeses, the best wines that I've ever put in my mouth, the freshest breads. And Laura and my wife were looking at each other going, even if we don't get this job, this, is, this trip was worth it for this <laughs> meal, baby. Because it was so stinking good. So, you know, what is that for you? Maybe it's a nice like filet. Maybe it's your favorite pizza. Maybe it's... I don't know what it is for you, but you know what it is. I know I might be making you hungry. But you know what it is that after you eat it, you go, "My, my belly is satisfied. Jesus is saying that the bread comes from heaven to satisfy your soul like the best and richest of foods satisfies your body. That's what He's saying. Secondly, He's saying that the bread sustains you. You know as well as I do that we can't just eat once in our life and that will provide nourishment for the rest of our life. Rather, we must continue to eat. And that's why Jesus says this. He says that whoever eats Me, that this bread is it is eternal life. That it is the thing that provides on to eternal life. It goes on and on and on. The idea there is that it nourishes us for the journey. Let's take a look at this. what this means very practically. I'm going to use a big word, a big big phrase, but I want you to put your thinking caps on, okay? I want you to see here very, very carefully. Did you notice in verse 37 that Jesus says, all the Father gives to Me will come to Me, and whoever comes to Me I will never cast out. What does that mean? That means that the Father has given you to the Son. And that once you are in the Son, there is no getting out of the Son. Let me say it another way that once you become a Christian, if God has truly made you a Christian, you can never be made an unchristian. If God has made you truly one of his own, he will never, he can never unmake you one of his own. Does that make sense? Look with me again in verse 40. He says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The language, the big phrase that I want to give to you guys is a language called the perseverance of the saints. And what that means is, saints is not super special holy people. Saints just simply means Christians. And what that means is, y'all, is that once Jesus grabs a hold of you, He never, ever, ever lets go. And I want to share this with you as a profound encouragement. Because what I want you to see is, is that it doesn't matter. Y'all look up at me, because this is very important. It does not matter how much of a mess you are making of your life. You may think, I have stranded so far, I have traveled so far from God and His grace, I must not be a Christian anymore. And what the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints says is this, you can never, ever jump out of your Heavenly Father's hand. You can never get out of it. His grip on you is eternally secure such that He holds you near and He holds you tight from now until all eternity. And that is meant to be a profound encouragement to some of you who struggle, who wonder about your Christianity, who look at the mess that you've made of your life for the past Fill in the blank. And you say, surely God doesn't want anything to do with me. And what Jesus is saying in John chapter 6 is, no, I want everything to do with you. Because once the Father wraps His hands around you, He never lets go of you. And that is meant to be profoundly encouraging for you in your times of trials and in your times of doubt. In your seasons of where sin is just kicking you your butt, it is taking you to the mat, and it is working you over. It is meant to be in a profound encouragement to you when you are dying, that Jesus will not let go of you. Because when He says that He holds on to you, He will never, ever, ever let you go. And you can take that to the bank, Jesus says. One old Puritan says this, and I love it. His name is Richard Baxter. He says In our first paradise in Eden, there was a way to go out, but no way to go in again. But as for the heavenly paradise, there is a way to go in, but not a way to go out. That's good news, y'all. That's real good news tonight for my soul. How about you? You see, you long for this. You long for this sort of salvation. Deep down, you long for a God that will give you a hunger for Himself. It's one that will never, ever, ever let you go. You see, I just want to ask you, do you long for this? Do you hunger for this? Don't you? Does this sound too good to be true? Listen, God in His grace to you will give you a hunger for Himself that He Himself will meet in Himself. Let me say that again. That God, in His kindness to you, will create a hunger. He will create a lack in you for Him that He longs by His grace to fill with Himself. I said it this way because I was feeling poetic at 2.30 this afternoon. Here it is. Here's my phrase. If I was smart, I would have tweeted this. A hunger that God creates is one He satiates. Does that make sense? No, because you don't know what satiates means. It means to satisfy. It means to satisfy. The the hunger that God creates in you for Himself, He always meets with Himself. And there's profound encouragement there, tonight there. So here it is, ready? How many of y'all feel, don't raise your hands, how many of y'all feel like God tonight is nowhere to be found? That you've lost the whisper of His voice? That you... Wonder, that all you sense perhaps is His absence. Right? Well, one pastor or scholar put it this way, that a sense of His absence is a sign of His presence. A sense of His absence is a sign of His presence. Here's why. Because those who aren't Christians don't miss God. They can't miss Him. It's only those who God has drawn to Himself that gives that lack, that gives that absence, that long for His presence. But He's not there. He's saying, this this man is, is saying, that that's a sign of His presence. He only gives you the lack because He's kind. Let's take a look lastly at this idea, then how do we get it? Do You see it there in verse 37 and 40. He says this, that all the Father gives to Me will come to Me, and whoever comes to Me I will never cast out. And again in verse 40, He says this, that this is the will of my Father. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. So the question is, how do we get this bread of life? How do we take it in? How does it become a part of us, in other words? And there's two things. First of all, we're freed and then we believe. We're freed and then we believe. Now you say we're freed. What do you mean? First of all, you have to see that the Father gives you to the Son, as I just mentioned. There it is. All the Father gives to me will come to me. And then, if you have your Bibles, um, if you have your Bibles, I didn't print this, but I want you to see it. Um, I want you to look down in verse 44 of the same chapter. Chapter 6, verse 44. If you can't get there right now, just write down the reference. This is what Jesus says. He says, No one... Can come to me, come to Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws them into Jesus. You see that? You know, you know what that means? People say, "Well, whoa, wait a second here. What about like? What about? I thought that you know, my youth pastor told me that I had to make a decision for Jesus, that I had to choose him. What? What's what do you mean? Jesus is saying this, that no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. But He also says up here that whoever believes on Him will be saved. And I think this is really interesting, is how do you reconcile those two statements? And that's why I see, say we're freed and then we believe. That you may say this, no, no, I, I made a decision for Christ. And I just want to tell you, yes, you did. And that's wonderful, and we want to celebrate it. But before you did that, primarily, antecedent to that, Christ, from all eternity past, took great delight in you because of His great grace, and and you were put into Christ by the Father. That's how that works. So, what does that mean? I love the image of a man locked in a jail cell. Before Jesus comes to somebody... You and me are like this in this, this jail cell. We, we cannot get out. We are bound by our sin and our trespasses, the scriptures say. But Christ comes, inserts the key, twists the lock, the gate is open. You are now free. You are now free. You are now free to turn and to believe in Christ. That's what this text is saying. I, I, don't, I don't know any other way to say it than to put it simply than that. Now, what does that mean? All that we have to do, then, all that we have to do is to look, is to believe. We trust. We, but we. I think a lot of times people think about, oh, I got to have faith in God. And I got to have this super strong faith. And if I have this super strong faith, uh-uh. what this is saying is, just like you put your bottom in the chair that you are in right now, and you didn't think twice about it, you're just you are trusting in that chair. So in the same way, we trust in Christ. We trust in him to do what he has said he will do. Now, this is really, really interesting, because so I want you all to think about this for a moment. I'm going to make a distinction, but I'm going to illustrate it first, then I'm going to come back and make the distinction. My friend, uh, who's, a, who's a campus minister with me, took his, two, his kids and the two boys of his one six one nine. he took them to Space Mountain at Disney World. Uh, Space Mountain's the ride, right? Help me, help me. Okay, great. He's sitting beside the six-year-old, the nine-year-old's behind him. He says to the six-year-old, Isn't this great? I'm so excited. The six-year-old goes, Dad, this is awesome. I cannot wait. It, you know, this is going to be the greatest ride ever. The nine-year-old in the back seat's going, mm I don't know, Dad. Th- no, this is a horrible idea. This is a horrible idea that we're on this ride right now. Here's the deal. After the ride was over, right? Who was, as it were, saved by the ride? The child who believed that the ride would get them there to the end? Or the child that thought, there's no way, this is not a good idea? Which one of those children made it to the end? And of course, the answer is both. And that's huge, because I want you to see something. What got them to the end of the ride was not what they thought about the ride. What got them to the end of the ride was the ride. And I think what most Christians do is is they think, faith in Jesus. I have a weak faith. Oh man. I, and I beat myself up over it. I, I say, i got to have more faith. i got to have more. i got to have more. And you, and you think that because your faith is weak, right, that you might not be a Christian. And what Jesus is saying is, Weak faith, strong faith, it doesn't matter. Your faith is not the thing that has died for you. I'm the one that's died for you. And so what Jesus is saying here is, the one who believes, it's the one who believes. As weak or as strong as that might be, as weak as your trust might be, or as strong as your trust might be, what matters most, here it is, is the object of your faith. It's the thing that you're trusting in. And I urge you tonight to turn your eyes off of yourself. Get them off your self-centered, self-reflective faith and say, Jesus! Look to Jesus! He's the one that can save, not you. I just want to drive that home tonight. Y'all, here's the great hope for us tonight. That Jesus Himself that He Himself emptied Himself on the cross, as we'll read later in John. And as He was emptying Himself, He was dying for the very explicit purpose that you and I might be filled. That He went without, that He was emptied, that that we might be satisfied. And so what I want you to see tonight is that Jesus Himself has purchased that He has died for all of your sins, that He has been the one that has put away, that all the judgment has been leveled on Him, such that you tonight, you tonight may feast on the bread of life. That you may have Him in you, in your veins, in your... That's what it means to take Him on. So I urge you tonight to do so, whether it's for the first time, or whether it's for the hundredth time. Turn to Him. Look to Him. Feast on Him. Let's pray.